before worship, <clears throat> I just stood up to sing, and little Liam, I know he's gone now, little Liam, Root, came up to me and just extended, oh, sorry, he's what took you out, took his dad out, just extended his arms like this. And, and he looked at me, not like, can I give you a hug? It's like, no, you're getting a hug. <laughs> and man, that was, that actually hit me, because uh, uh, if you're like me, you're basically... I'm 41, but basically I'm a six-year-old, frightened, timid little boy deep down. Honest. When, you get, when life really presents struggles, and ultimately, right before worship, this kid comes up and gives me an analogy of my relationship with God and how God wants to approach me like that. And so thank little Liam for that. And then that wasn't enough. He wanted to give me a big kiss on the cheek, too. So <laughs> I thought, God, I'm glad I shaved this morning. So... <clears throat> There's an organization, uh, maybe many of you are familiar with it, you, that uses a, a strategy to share the gospel of Christ, and it's a, it's a, very, uh, it's a very effective strategy, and uh, it's something that they've perfected down to basically a science. And the organization is called Campus Crusade for Christ. Anybody ever heard of them? Um, anyway, uh, they have a, this thing called, anyone? The Four Spiritual Laws. Very good. And uh, I, I went on their website this morning and I grabbed, went you, there, have you heard of the sport, four spiritual laws? And law number one is God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. And what their point is here is to say that just like Liam when he came up to me, uh, you need to know that there is an almighty God and that he loves you. They're going to get into Law 2, 3, and 4, which is going to explain more of this message. Law 2 will say that, that you have sinned against this God who loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, and that has caused a separation, and there is no way to make that separation on your own back together. You need Jesus Christ, which is Law 3. I wasn't a campus crusader, so am I getting it right, crusaders? Law 3? Jesus? How could Jesus say Jesus was wrong to any law? But... Law three, I think, is Christ is the answer. His penalty on the cross pays for it. And then law four says you need to personally make that decision to allow Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Not just the Savior of your family or your, your country or your church, but you personally need to decide if you're going to allow Jesus to be your Savior. It's very, very good. I have one little tiny beef with. How can I have a beef with Bill Bright, you know? Uh, he, he probably had more effect on the, the, the world in, in evangelism and spreading this great message of Christ than anyone. My beef is with the word wonderful. And, and I do think that God does love you. And I do think the Christian life is a wonderful thing. But my problem with the word wonderful is that can leave you thinking that, oh, my life sucks so I'll become a Christian. And then you become a Christian, and in some ways, your life will suck more. Oh, great. Who wants to become a Christian today? Huh? Line up. Take a, we'll have to get one of those butcher things. Take a number. The, the fallacy that I'm afraid of when I read this is that you get the impression that the normal Christian life is a life of always happy, always satisfied, uh, never struggling. And in fact, the way I read the Bible, the Christian life is actually harder than not being a follower of Christ. So if you're here this morning and you're like, 
you know, you're getting drug here by somebody or, 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 or whatever, and you're wondering whether or not God's even there at all, or you're wondering, man, what is this Jesus about, or, or, or should I become a follower of him? And you're really at that point. I want to encourage you with something. It is a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful thing to follow God. I've been a follower of Jesus now. I have to do the math. Uh, 18 minus 41. Anyone? What's that? Uh, 23. 23 years. And I wasn't a follower of Christ for 18 years. And, and these 23 years have been way more sweet, way more purposeful, way more, uh, 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 I've known this relationship with God has kept me going. But man, these 23 years have been much harder than the other 18 years. Before, if you had a problem and you came to me, I, I wouldn't care about your problem. You know, just give me another beer and I'm not going to worry about you. It sucks to be you. Sorry you got that problem, but I just wouldn't think about it. Now, when you tell me your problem, I can't, there's something within me, the Spirit of God says, care. Care about that problem. Bleed for that problem. And my own problems too. I can't just, uh, um, like that one episode of Cheers where Woody says, my grandma always says, just take issues and just push them down a little further. And Fraser hears that and goes, tick, 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 tick. <laughs> you know, I can't take stuff and just stuff it anymore. I've got to deal with it. And if, if somebody's wronged me, the Bible says I have to go and confront them and talk with them about that. I have to make relationships right. If you're looking for an easy life, dude, the bar is a, a block and a half that way. Hubert's. I'm serious. That's easy. If you're looking for a fulfilled life, life to the full, yeah, then you're at the right place. Chuck Swindoll, and I'm not the only one to kind of tease Bill Bright about this, and he's known about it. He's no longer with us. He's in glory, and I'm sure he's having a great time laughing at me right now even. But Chuck Swindoll is the one who changed this, and he says, you should change that law, Bill, to be God loves you and has a tragic plan for your life. Because <laughs> it's going to take some twists and turns that you don't think. The reason I get to this is because I believe that we are fish that are out of water. We are created, if you read Genesis 1 and 2, we are created to be like God, made in His image. We were put in a, in a garden that was perfect in every way. It was perfect. Oh, dude. What a, that's great. It's Nigeria calling. It's your husband. <clears throat> that's fine. Um, we are created to be in this Garden of Eden that was perfect. We're created to live there where all of our relationships would be absolutely right with God, with each other, no problems. We mess up in the Garden of Eden, we're kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and ever since that day, all we wanted to do is get back in the garden. You, you, you go through life, and it, it, even your best days, there's always a little something that's kind of out of whack, just something. I was having one of those moments, uh, I don't know if... if if you've had these, I've had more, I call them garden glimpses. I stole them from the, the author, uh, Larry Crabb. He talks about this. Just all of a sudden, <gasps> everything feels right. Just for a second. Just everything feels right. And I was at Subway uh, this week. <laughs> call me Jared. I, I was at Subway, and in front of me was this police officer. And I just, I just got this thing about, man, these guys in Minneapolis, you know, they just get, I live in Minneapolis, and and these guys just get railed on all the time. So I just, I was ordering, and I just put my arm around the police officer. <laughs> he put his arm around his 45. No, no, no. Put my arm around the police officer, and I said, I, I told him what I want. I told the, what I want. I said, I want to purchase my new friend here. I want to purchase uh, his sandwich for him. 
And the uh, guy looked at me and he said, oh, no, no, you don't, need, you don't need to do that. And I said, oh, I want to. He says, no, really, sir, it's, it's, it's okay. I said, consider it a bribe. No. <laughs> he didn't know me. He didn't know I was joking at first. And I thought, oh, no, no, I'm kidding, you know. <laughs> Put your hand back off the gun. <clears throat> that moment, I just felt, everything just felt right. My sandwich was being made right. Uh, his sandwich is going to be paid for. This police officer wasn't giving me a ticket, but we were buddies. Everything was right at that moment. You have those moments, but, but it's not the normal. The normal is that when sin entered the world in Genesis 3, that yes, when you come to Jesus Christ, you, you can come and you can receive forgiveness of that, and you can receive a fulfillment in your life, and the Spirit of God actually enters into your life and changes you. But there's still something not quite right. Paul talks about that when he talks about we groan in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4. He says we groan for what we really want later to come. We have longings, deep longings, and we're, we're not there yet. Something has gone horribly wrong, and we desperately want to get back to, into the garden. We want to go back home, but we can't just yet. C.S. Lewis has said this, and this is profound. By the way, Shiny Dime, did anyone know C.S. Lewis' real name? C.S.? Anyone? Oh, you guys pay attention too much. Isn't that great? I'd go by CS2 if my name were Clive Staples. He says this. In Mere Christianity, he says, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. You have to kind of think about that sentence. You don't, you don't get a desire unless there's something that will somehow satisfy that. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. That's, that's profound. If there's something within you that gets satisfied by buying a cop a sub sandwich, that it, mm, mm, it feels kind of good, but someday that will be filled to its fullness. I get asked all the time, is there going to be golf in heaven or whatever? I, I don't know. But I do know this. Whatever button in your life, you know, for me in fishing or whatever, whatever button in your life gets pushed by the golf button or the creative memories button or... Whatever button you got, you just think, oh, I hope that's there. That, that button is being pushed one out of a million. In heaven, that button will be pushed a million. Whether or not there's golf or not, I have no idea. We're in a series right now, kind of an in-between series. We did the book of Acts. We're moving to the book of John. We want to take six weeks. We're in our third week of it. I want to take a little time just to let some of the concepts from the book of Acts land on us. Make sure we let them land on our hearts as opposed to just moving on to the next thing and keep cranking it out. And uh, this week, last week, we talked about mercy, being a person who is merciful, uh, forgiving of other people, living life. We talked about the stairway up, and you see the king, and you get your debt forgiven. Then you come down the stairs, and you see someone who owes you just a little bit of money. H how are you going to treat that person? Two weeks ago, we looked at a woman who was just desperate, desperate. She was probably a prostitute. She came to this meeting where Jesus was, was with other religious rulers. She came there, and she just wept at his feet, didn't say a word, never said a word. Jesus forgave her sin. And so, um, so we're kind of looking at this, these 
concepts from the book of Acts, springboarding out of the book of Acts. This week I want to look at two passages from Acts real quick, and then I want to springboard out of there. First I want to look at what happened in the life of Paul, or actually it's something Jesus says is going to happen to Paul in Acts chapter 9. It's right this this part of the book of Acts, these two passages, by the way, that I'm looking at, Acts 9 and Acts 5, are two of the most, for me, profound things in the book of Acts as far as God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And he does. Just let's put a little hyperlink under wonderful, click on it, and it brings you to another page which explains that. And I want to explain that. Acts 9, starting in verse 10. Uh, this is right after... Paul is changed. He's converted. He was going to Damascus to trash the Christians. On the way, ha, he becomes a Christian. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Can you imagine being Ananias when you hear that? It's like, you knew that this guy was coming to trash you, to imprison you, and perhaps even hurt you or kill you, and now you're told, go there and help him? Hmm. So Ananias says, Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, good idea, Ananias, hadn't thought of that. No, he says, he says, go. And this is where it's money. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. But there's more to the deal than that. And he says this, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. What? Hello, what's that doing there? I, I thought you are talking about you're going to use this guy for great things and then all of a sudden he links this, he's going to suffer. Those two are linked. Those, those, those two are not separate things. I, when, I tell you what, every time when I talk to someone about matters of faith and they're thinking, yeah, you know what? I'd like to sign the dotted line with Jesus Christ. I'd like to become a Christian. I just tell them, are you sure? <laughs> you know what you're getting into? I just want to let you know. This is not going to be easy. It's going to be filled with joy and God's going to help you and you're going to feel power from God and your relationships are going to be renewed and you're going to have a renewed relationship with, with God. It's going to be great, but you're going to suffer. I don't exactly know the road that God will take you on, but everyone in this room, I know this for a fact, uh, you're, you're going to suffer. Paul writes it the, later on, uh, Paul writes to the people of Philippians and he talks about this, how this 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 whole gospel message of coming to Christ and being forgiven of your sin is tied right up with this whole concept of suffering. Paul says to them, to the Philippians, uh, years later he writes to them and says, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. He writes later on in that book in chapter 3, he says he's talking about his ultimate passions in life. What he wants more than anything else. It's, if you we really want a, a great passage to read, read Philippians all of chapter 3. It talks about what Paul, what his motivation, what his life goals were. 
And he says this, boiling it down in verses 10 and 11, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain from the resurrection of the dead. That's crazy talk, right? <laughs> That's not the way normal people talk. You know, I really, I'm looking forward to the Viking season this year. Yeah, we're looking for a good team and we're looking forward to going on the field and we're looking great. We all can break our legs. People don't talk like that. Paul's not a masochist here. He doesn't want to just get beat up for no sake. But he's saying, you know what? I want, if there's a fellowship that I can know Christ deeper through this road of suffering, then I want it. Blessed be your name, like that song we sung, whether through easy times or through hard times. Now, Quite honestly, that's not the main one I want to look at. Acts 5 is the main one I want to look at. Peter and the apostles are doing some things that make the religious leaders in that, uh, in that area in Jerusalem angry. And so in verse 26 of Acts chapter 5, we see this. It says, At that the captain went out with his officers and brought the apostles. So all the apostles come. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. And they tell them this. We said, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet you filled Jerusalem with this teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man, that's Jesus' blood. We, we told you to stop talking about this and you're doing it. And then Peter and all of them, I never know exactly what that, Peter and the other apostles replied. I'm sure they didn't all say it together, but I don't know how this all works. But we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalts him to his own hand, right hand as prince, as king, and as savior, as as the, as, the, as the Christ to come, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. You need to know, and we talked about this one through the book of Acts, at that moment that Peter and the apostles were writing their death sentence, by saying that to these guys, they were angry with them to begin with, and they basically say, hmm, not going to listen to you, we're going to keep doing it, and by the way, just to remind you one more time, uh, you killed Jesus. <clears throat> When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. That would have been the book, end of the book of Acts if they'd have got their way. But there was a guy. His name was Gamaliel. He's teacher of the law. He was honored by all the people. He stood up in this council and he ordered that the, that the apostles be put outside for a while. And he says this to them. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, this other guy, Thudius, appeared claiming to be somebody and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All of his followers were dispersed and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, let him go. Let him, leave him alone. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it'll fail, just like all these other ones. Don't worry about it. But, this is profound, but if this is really from God, you'll find yourselves... Not, you, you'll not be able to stop these men. You'll find yourselves fighting against God. So they, they're persuaded by this. They called the apostles in. They had them beaten. They flogged them. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. 
The apostles left this council meeting called the Sanhedrin. Now, here, here, here's the nutty thing. They left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And I'll just give you this last verse so you know whether or not they obeyed them on whether or not going to keep doing this. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. The, the, these people left, they just got beat up. They just got threatened by authorities. And they leave, and they're giddy. <laughs> we got beat up for Jesus. And it's kind of a, in the original language, it's kind of an oxymoron. They say, it basically says they were honored to be dishonored. They, they, were, they were rejoicing because they were counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Now, I don't know about you, but I, when, when I read a passage like that, that challenges me. I read a passage like that, and I just think, wow, these guys are on fire for the Lord. These guys are bonsai for, for saying, I'm going to follow Jesus, and you know what? If, I, if people don't like me, if people in my employment think I'm nuts, if, if, if others come to me and even physically persecute me, great, it's even better. Now, it's a little bit hard speaking to you all on this, and I'm one of them. So, uh, we live in 5% of the world or so, America, pretty, pretty isolated from its beginning because we founded this country in religious freedom. By and large, we have religious freedom. Yes, are you going to get insulted for being a follower of Christ? You better believe it. You are. You know, I, uh, when I was at uh, Trinity, uh, down there at their... Uh, seminary, taking some classes, I, I was reading through my Bible and working through my Bible in a year, which always takes me two. And I was, uh, I sat at a, at a, a microbrewery there, and I was, uh, uh, it's a restaurant and a bar, and there was this whole group of people over here, and I was, I was reading, reading Leviticus, actually. I, I read through the whole entire book of Leviticus in a sitting. It's great. I like to read in public places and whatever. And he, these people over here who are just having a, a drink after work or whatever, kind of, you know, notice this guy. I had my big choco horse Bible, too. I didn't have a little one. So I had this big Bible in there, and I'm reading, and, and uh, I could tell him kind of looking at me, like, what's going on? Finally, one guy came over to me, and he says, he was from India, how are you, brother? Uh, and, and he says, God bless you. I'm thinking, wow, read Leviticus in a, in a bar, and people bless you. So, <laughs> point is, you will get insulted. You'll get persecuted, but I could read in a very public place my Bible, and I knew those people, for the most part, I, I knew without a doubt I wasn't going to get killed. You don't know that in other parts of the world. You don't know that. So it's real hard for us, I think, to think about suffering because we take maybe a little insult or maybe we even, I lost a job once and I'm pretty sure it was because I was a Christian and other things. Uh, but that, that's, that's, that's nothing compared to what these guys were going through. What I want to do to kind of close off this morning is um, I want to read from you, read to you, really just devotionally. I want, this to, I want you to let this land in wherever you're at. Whatever road the Lord has taken you on, whatever road of suffering or whatever thing he's taking you through. And some of you, I know even this week it's been a very hard week for some. Um, I know after last week's sermon on forgiving and really letting some people release them or let them go, that was very hard. Um, 
There may be other things in your life. You know what? Things may be going just great. You're standing right there with your arm around a cop right now. That's great. Put this in the bank then for, for times that are coming. What I want to do is I just want to go through um, Peter wrote a letter years after this happened. And Peter's letter in chapters 3 and 4, probably the chapters in the Bible, I think, on this whole issue of suffering. And I basically just want to read them devotionally. I'll make a couple comments uh, per paragraph. But I just want to read them devotionally. If you want to read them on your own and do business with God where you stand, that's fine too. But let me read these from 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to go all the way through the end of chapter 4. <clears throat> Paul's telling people, how do you do this? How do you suffer well? How do you, how do you, how do, you do that? Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. The first thing he's trying to teach you is here, live bottom of the stairs living. Remember what happened at the top of the stairs. To use last week's analogy, if you were here you have been forgiven a great debt. If you're a follower of Christ, if you've come to that point in your life where you've said, Jesus Christ, I want you to be my sin bearer. Take it. I'm yours. Take my sin. Then your sin is forgiven. He will forgive you. And you come down the bottom of the stairs. How do you live with other people? Here's how you do it. You don't repay people. You bless them. Four, and he uses, uh, I believe, Psalm 34 here. As a quote, he says, Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God is the judge. Let it go to God. Verse 13, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be, do not be frightened, he quotes from Isaiah 8. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. So that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Set apart Christ as Lord. Set all the time, 24-7, Christ as Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm standing in a subway line, Christ is Lord right now. What would you have me do, Jesus? How would you have me live? How would at this moment, how would at this moment I can give an answer to people who say, you know, people don't buy other people's sandwiches. What's going on? Am I ready? Am I, is it ready to come off my tongue? Verse 17, it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive by the Spirit through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. You just stop right there just for a second. What's happening here is he's talking about the patience. It took years to build this ark. It took years. And Noah told people, a flood is coming, Repent. No one did. God waits patiently for that. 
In it, a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. Not the fact that you were dipped or whatever. That's not what saves you. Baptism is a symbol of death with Christ and resurrection. That's what saves you. It's your faith in Christ that saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and who is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. If you're going to make it through suffering, if you're going to make it through that, do you keep in your mind the eternal perspective? Do you have that? An EP, as I like to call it. Do you have, a, you have an eternal perspective of life. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, live in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason the gospel is preached even to those who are now dead, so that they can might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. The end of all things is close, folks. And you're in, a, in, in heaven going through hard times. So what do you do? You give. You give away. You give away your life. You give away your time. You give away your possessions. You give. It's all in the context of suffering. How do you, you use those gifts that God's given you to give back to others? Because he, he continues on with suffering in verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. God loves you and may have a tragic plan for you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of, God, of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard, and if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, how, excuse me, what will be come of the ungodly and the sinner. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. There's nothing wrong with you if you're a follower of Jesus and you're going through hard times. There's nothing wrong with you. Let me just wave that right here. There's not some super spiritual person that you should become so that things are easy. The question is, are you suffering well? Are you doing it in Jesus' name and for his glory? Or are you suffering because you did something stupid? 
Are you setting apart Christ in your heart? Setting Him apart. Everything you do, He's just notched into your heart. You're setting Him apart as Christ is Lord. Are you ready then? Is your, is your mouth locked and loaded to when people ask you, you're just different. You're just a funny duck. Things are happening in your life that are hard. How do you keep going? I, I don't know. It's God working through me. Are you locked and loaded? Do you live your life realizing that you are a vapor in the winter? There it is. There it's gone. You're, you're, I'm only 41. If the Lord gives me 41 more years, I'll be 82. That first 41 years like that. Do you live life in that perspective thinking, this is nothing compared to that? Do you give even when you're going through hard times? Are you, are you giving away to other people through your finances, through your treasure and your time? Are you giving to other people? Giving your talents away? That's, that's, the, that's how you suffer well. The beauty of this is, the beauty and why it is a wonderful life is that God is there with you. Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are there with me. Let's pray together. Lord God, when it comes to suffering, I am a wimp. And you know that. And I know most everyone in this room is a wimp. We don't want to suffer. I don't want hard things. And yet, God, you call us at many times to take a journey that takes us right through something very difficult. Your word says in Isaiah, when you pass through the flames, you will not be burned. It doesn't say, when you go by fire, I'll get you away around them. It doesn't say that. It says we're going right through. Lord, would we be people who know how to suffer well? Would, would, would we be people who, in those times of suffering, we'd hear your shouting voice to us? We'd be people who respond to you. We, we, we turn towards you and, and rely on you and trust in you to give us the strength to get us right through that fire. We don't want to do this. We can't crank it out on our own. We need you, Lord. Lord, too, would you grant to each of us a, a, a taste of what heaven will be like? That we live with that eternal perspective, God. A thing that just says, man, I can't wait to go home. Lord, would you grant to everyone in this room the ability and the strength to make it through whatever each individual person is going through, even right now? Would they be people who rejoice because at times they, they suffer for being a Christian? As they care for others deeply, as other people may mock them? God, would you just do your work in our body? Make us be a church that suffers well. We pray in Jesus' name.